this is Rachel. Welcome to Recovery Daily Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about illnesses deep within us. And I had was thinking the other day how I, I've always had this desire to uh, be an astronaut. Okay, this was my childhood dream to be an astronaut. And um, I've always just like probably everybody else in the world is just amazed by the thought of just the eternal uh, extensiveness of outer space and the universe and stuff. And what I was thinking of the other day is how the inward depth of my mind, how far it goes into... um, Whatever thoughts I'm thinking, whether they're good or bad, that the inward depth of my mind is absolutely as extensive as the outward depth of the universe. Our brains are so amazing. It's, it's just mind-boggling to think about the extent to which our brain can create stories for ourselves. And and so imagine how with that possibility of how complex our brains are, how sick they can get. You know, how sick we can be on the inside where nobody can see the illnesses that are deep within us, in our minds, um, where nobody else can see them, are sometimes the most fatal. I I would, you know, I don't want to say often the most fatal because I'm not a doctor, obviously. If I were, I wouldn't be doing a podcast. I would be doing surgery on someone. Making a hell of a lot of money. Anyway, um, but those illnesses within us, chemical imbalances and such, can be fatal. And I was thinking about this because the post-stroke symptoms that I'm experiencing are ones that nobody can see. I'm the only one who knows that they're there. I'm the only one who can communicate how my eyes are making my head hurt. How what I used to be able to do and process with my eyes is not working anymore. It's not like somebody who has a stroke and they lose functionality in a limb or something like that in their body, that's something that other people can see. Now, that doesn't mean just because they can see it that the solution is easier by any means. But it's a lot easier to be the... I mean, I don't want to say that. that, that I'm going to stop where I am. That's not um, appropriate for me to say. It's easier to say 
hey, that doesn't work when somebody can see that it's not working. But what I have been feeling challenged by, and I'm really grateful that I have family and friends and co-workers and bosses um, that believe me, um, that, that my head is not working, my brain is not working the way that it used to. And, um, and I think about what if I was still drinking when this happened? All of the craziness, the insanity that I was living back then, why would somebody believe me that things aren't working in my brain. Things weren't working before when I was drinking. So, you know, I go back to, I was prepared to, something was preparing me to be where I am today. Um, I don't know that I would have even gone to the hospital had I been drinking. I wouldn't have known that something was seriously wrong. I would have just thought, oh, I drank too much. That's why I can't talk. You know, I can't, I can't read because I drank too much. I would have laid down and gone to sleep or something. And who knows what would have happened. I may have, like, not even woken up, much less um, severely ha- had some, some probably more permanent Um, issues that I was experiencing at the time of my stroke. So I'm really grateful that that there are people that believe me, but I know from experience and from watching others that suffer from illnesses within them that not everybody always believes us when the illness is something that you can't see when it's a chemical imbalance. So I'm talking about depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, um, you know, inability to manage anger. All of these things are, are things that, that if our loved ones are really paying attention, if they're looking for it, they can see it. But then that brings you to, do they really want to acknowledge it? Do they really want to talk about it? Do they feel comfortable talking about it? Do they think it's something we don't want to talk about? Um, Nobody is jumping up and down to talk about their loneliness and despair. That's for sure. The willingness to be open about these things is is few and far between. And the fact that I'm sitting here publishing how I'm articulating the darkness that I've experienced and the darkness that I'm experiencing now and how I'm trying to crawl my way out of it, how I'm trying to claw my way back out is, uh, I'm, I'm doing it. It's unusual and I'm doing it because very few people do. 
And it's one of the most healing experiences I had when I started getting sober was when somebody told a story that was my story. Somebody opened their mouth and told my story without even knowing me. And that's why I want to do this. And if we can, if I can focus outward more than inward, then I'm actually healing faster. Because I find that healing for me comes when I'm working with other people. At either I'm working with other people on my problems and somebody's listening to me or I'm working with somebody on their problems and I'm listening to them because quite often when somebody comes to me and has um, something that they want to talk about um, I've been there I know what it feels like and to say it out loud and try to talk them through that is really just reminding myself that that I have the solutions for my own problems inside me. And I've talked about my deep, my dark place. And that's where, uh, that's what I call that place where I shove things. Um, it's the place where when I start isolating myself, um, it's where all of my feelings go. I just kind of crumple them up and stuff them into this dark place. And it's somewhere between my heart and my gut. <laughs> that's where it, that's where I feel it. And it really, um, it's painful inside there. It's very painful. Sometimes I can think about that dark place and it feels like it's very airy you know it feels like there's not a lot of stuff in there and then there are other times that it feels like I've just packed it to the gills I think they say and um and and sometimes when I'm going through something small I stuff little things in there. You know, if I get pissed off at my boss, <laughs> and uh, he knows that I do that, so it's okay if he hears this. <laughs> I'm sure he gets pissed off at me too. But I'll take that and I'll stuff it into my dark place. And if I stuff it there, then the next time I talk to him, my boss, I'm going to have an attitude problem. I'm not going to be the most pleasant person to talk to. And when we do that with people that we're close to, they don't know what's happening. They don't know that you got pissed off at something that I said, you know, in our last conversation and you stuffed something in your dark place so that now every time you talk to me, that thing, whatever it is that you stuffed comes back up and it, and it shows itself 
in whatever way, whether it's, you know, sadness or anger or, or whatever it is. So, so what I do, um, and I, again, progress, not perfection. What I do is I try to look at that dark place every night before I go to bed. And I have this little thing that I read that says, where have I been? Um, I mean, to, to summarize pretty much where have I been an asshole to people? Where have I been selfish? Um, you know, those types of things. And it, and I look at my day, I do it every single, I do it every single night before I go to bed. I look at my day and I think, where could I have been a, a better human being? And, um, yeah, it sounds like I'm an overachiever and maybe I am an overachiever. I just know how bad it feels when I've got a bunch of shit stuffed in my dark place and I don't want it in there anymore. So some people, um, some people probably don't have things that they stuff all the time. I do. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one. And so the way that I, the way that I try to make sure that that dark place doesn't get stuffed so much with crap um, that I can't even dig myself out of it is to is to look at it every day. And the first time that I had to look at that place, it was very painful. And I didn't want to face anything in there. Um, you know, I, I always think about this moment in my childhood. It wasn't a moment. It was a day. <laughs> uh, after school, I came home. I was um, in elementary school, and we lived down the street from the elementary school. So I would walk home and let myself in, and my cat, Percy was there. My cat was a, it was a white Persian cat. And I would come home and I would tell Percy about my day. And that sounds really sad, but that's not why I'm telling you. I would tell Percy about my day. And there was one day in particular that I had an older brother, I have an older brother and an older sister. And they were, I guess, you know, off with their friends or had stuff to do after school or something like that. Um, so I was the only one home. And so I, I got home and, uh, I was talking to Percy and I heard it was quiet. It was like super quiet in the house. Just that, that quietness that is almost heavy, you know? Um, and I heard something upstairs, something in the house. And I had that like panic uh, feeling. I was only in elementary school, so I was scared, you know. Um, but I told I, I told Percy I was gonna go check it out. So I was like the stupid chick in the scary movie who goes towards the noise instead of away from the noise. And, um, so I looked around the whole house and all the bedrooms. It wasn't a, a huge house. I just looked at all the bedrooms and I went back down. There was nothing there. So it was probably like the house settling or something like that. 
And so um, I, I went back downstairs and I was able to, that, that was like the end of that kind of scary, lonely feeling that I felt because from that point on, I just remember like, I don't know, turning on cartoons or something like that. And it makes me think about that searching through the dark place, searching, turning and looking towards the pain, the scary stuff, you know? Um, but it's the only way to really make room for freedom or or make room for that airiness feeling that I was talking about that when I don't have a lot of crap in that dark place the only way to make that room is to have the willingness to go into those depths and to clean house and once I'm able to look at that stuff and and really fight for myself I want to fight for that freedom and the more willingness I have, the more room I have for just being present and being aware of everything that's going on around me to be mindful. And um, I know mindful is a big thing that everybody's throwing around these days. I it's For the past like 10 years, I think it's been this big mindfulness thing and I have my own thoughts about mindfulness and it's probably not revolution revolutional revolutionary revolutionary but uh but I'll definitely um share some of those another time um on mindfulness but anyway so I just like this not wanting to turn and face that stuff that's scary, um, I didn't want to face what was going on in my head. Just as much as I did not want to face the fact that I had a drinking problem, I had a bad relationship with alcohol, I also did not want to face that there's something wrong with my head um, in this post-stroke time. So, um, so I didn't want to face the pain in my head as much as I didn't want to face the pain in my heart when I was uh, trying to get sober. I found that what I was afraid of facing, I thought that I was afraid of what was causing the pain. You know, there was a lot of stuff that happened in my life that I felt caused that pain that caused me to drink. You know, there's lots of people who um, have a bad relationship with alcohol, and they can blame it on you know, my parents were an al were alcoholics. Oh, I was in a bad marriage. Um, you know, I I lost this or that when I was younger, and 
And what I found was what was causing my bad relationship with alcohol was that I'm an alcoholic. It, it wasn't because I had a bad childhood. It wasn't because my marriage didn't work out. It wasn't because of the guy who was in a motorcycle accident when I was in high school that I was just torn up about and obsessed about it for freaking years. That None of that was the reason why I had a bad relationship with alcohol. I had a bad relationship with alcohol because I'm an alcoholic. And just like somebody who has diabetes, I needed medicine. And my medicine is has several uh, pieces. Um, one, the importance of, of staying away from the drink is number one. And, and then the program that I'm in introduces lots of other medications, if you will, uh, treatments, you know, talking every day about how I'm feeling and, and, um, and all that stuff. And I don't want to go too far into my, uh, sobriety program, but, but you get the point. It, it's, I didn't want to look at what was causing my pain in my head. Like there was something like I needed painkillers or I needed, I have pain in my head because I had a stroke, you know, I had a stroke and I have to stop looking away from that and leaning into it, leaning into the pain and stop looking away. It seems like in most cases, when things hurt, you know, in most cases, things are going to hurt more when you look at them and try to address them than if you keep looking away. If you keep looking away from the pain, the pain's going to sit there. If you look at the pain and start really getting rehabilitation and, and really starting to recover, quite often it's going to hurt more than it did when you were ignoring it. You know, it's just kind of sitting in your craw or, or in this case, sitting in my brain. <laughs> when I didn't look at it, it just existed there. When I looked at it and I'm going to this vision therapy and stuff, I've been sleep. I slept all day again today because I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I can't do anything. All I can do is sit with my eyes closed. That's it. That's all I'm doing. I have all the shades shut and I'm freaking miserable, but I know that it's not going to get better until it gets worse. And so that's what I'm dealing with now. It's getting worse. And the longer that I ignored it, which was two years, I think the longer it's going to take to get better. And 
the longer I ignored my alcoholism, the longer it took for me to get better. And um, that's, that's just my story. Um, but what I do know is just like sobriety, when I kept looking at it and I kept crying and I kept just turning back and looking at it and grabbing a hold of it and saying, yeah, I'm going to keep dealing with you. I'm going to keep fighting against you until I can get through it and over it and to the other side. And that's what I'm doing now. And, you know, this is a pep talk for me. This is what I have to do in order to, um, to be okay with today. Because if I just sit all day long, sleep all day, and then I go to bed without doing this, this session of sharing this episode and talking about how, you know, I'm just going to say <laughs> this, fuck you, head pain. That's what I feel like. I feel like, fuck you. I'm going to get up again tomorrow and I'm going to do it again because I'm going to get better. So fuck you. That's what I feel like today. Um, because I can't do the other. The, the other way is not an answer for me. I'm not going to keep feeling sorry for myself. I'm not going to turn to uh, drugs and alcohol to feel better. And I know that my life is going to get beautiful. Damn it. On the other side of this. So um, on the other side of the pain. So that's what I have for you today. And I appreciate that was so cathartic. Appreciate it. I hope uh, I hope you got something out of it because I certainly did. And um, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.